Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you, and we'll get right into some chatting over about more uh, quantum physics with Billy Hubbard over this delicious recursion IPA, having more of that. Uh, before we do, I thought I'd mention uh, that if you'd like to get a physical copy of my stand-up slash animation DVD, One-Headed Beast, uh, you can now get it in Amoeba Records in Los Angeles. So if you happen to be in town and want to get a physical copy... There's a good place to do it. An historic or a historic, I say a historic uh, record and sort of vinyl establishment. Head over there and get it. And um, pretty soon, for those of you who supported the Kickstarter, I'll be releasing the the thing I recorded at the Fringe along with some accompanying animation. So keep an eye on that. Check your email for updates. And let's get into part two of quantum physics with Billy Hubbard. So we didn't get it to it last time. What is the name? Well, we're back with more recursion IPA. We've stuck with the, we're finishing off this bottle. Mm-hmm. We, um, we have some Tehachapi beer that perhaps we'll get into depending on how aggressive we get into chugging this down. But what, <laughs> we didn't get into the name of your company. So uh, the company, it's it's called Nanoelectronic Imaging Incorporated. And this is uh, based off of some uh, transmission electron microscopy te- techniques we developed uh, as part of my thesis. Um, so last time we were talking about uh, this electron microscope and has these really fancy electron optics. And uh, so my specialty uh, as, as in, during my thesis was kind of making new types of devices to look at it with this microscope and also new imaging techniques. Mm-hmm. So the transmission part of the TEM means that the electrons kind of go through and you kind of collect them on the other side and see what going through the sample did to those electrons. So it's kind of the equivalent of kind of taking a piece of glass and like holding it up to a light and you can kind of like see the colors better and things like that, you know, like, like stained glass yeah. as you can think of. So one of, <clears throat> you can't just, if you're trying to look at, uh, well, so TEM is one of the high is basically the highest resolution imaging technique there is you can actually see individual atoms um but the problem is that you can't just you know take a computer chip pop it in there and take a look at it you have to have something that's very very thin so that's electron transparent so that's something like less than like 100 nanometers which Mm -hmm. is you know again a piece of hair is about 100 micrometers so a thousand times smaller than that um so it's very difficult to 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 create samples in general. And it's even more difficult to create like uh, electronic devices that actually function while they're in the microscope. So part of my PhD was, um, taking kind of next generation memory elements like, uh, that, uh, you know, like Intel and, and people like that would be interested in and kind of seeing how they tick by looking at them in the microscope. So a big part of that undertaking was figuring out how to make devices that are extremely thin, but they also still work. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, so once we kind of established some techniques for that, we kind of moved on to some other, you know, similar devices. Wait, can I jump in yeah, there for yeah. a second? Because I, you know, this seems to a certain degree like an arms race of like, you're dealing with such an unknown, such a tiny, tiny little thing where like people that go and collect miniatures or build little dollhouses would, they can't even comprehend how, how much smaller it is. Like you talk oh, yeah. about like 
10 or a thousand times smaller than a hair. Well, so that's, so if you're going from, from big to small, you can go a thousand times smaller than a hair. If you want to go from small to big, general length scales on an atom are like, you know, 0.1 of, uh, of a nanometer. It's called mm-hmm. an angstrom. So you're, you're basically, you know, if you get to a nanometer, you're at like a few atoms, you know, 10 nanometers, you know. So. But so when you're building these things, and like I said, like kind of an arms race, I've heard a few people in here talk about it, like kind of whether it's microchips or, or mm-hmm. you know, trying to get tech down smaller and smaller and smaller and computing, et cetera, and like quantum computing. What are the like limits where you're like, oh, we're only, you know, 95% of our things work, but that's amazing. You know, we have a, a really high return rate. It's success. Oh, as far as like you make a you make a microprocessor and how many of those actually work? Or just like how can you as a company like hand someone a business card and be like, our stuff you can guarantee it's gonna be good. So our so we're we're kind of gearing more towards the research end of things. So so in the devices that I make for the TEM, if we're, we're looking at uh, some kind of memory element or something, this isn't the best functioning mem- memory element there is. Okay. It's one that functions, you know, comparable comparable enough to you know what people are mass producing and, and are characterizing by the thousand electronically. It's close enough to that that we can be rest assured that whatever effect we see is like the same mechanism that causes these other ones to work. Oh, okay. Um, so we're, we're actually we would like to we're, we're hoping to develop ways to to look at kind of an as made device where you can kind of cut into it and pull out a, a little cross section that'll still function, but that's uh, it's still something we're working on. When you say pull out something, I mean when you deal with something physically, what is it? Is it you with tweezers like grabbing? No, a so thing? so a lot of a lot of these small samples are you're, you're using really giant, expensive machines to make a really tiny things. So in, yeah. in in this case, if you're trying to one of the standard ways of making a sample is you 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 know g- give a guy a, a microprocessor and he cuts into it with a, a beam of ions and kind of cuts cuts it away and makes like a little thin it's called a lamella it's just a little little thin flag of whatever the material you're looking at uh-huh. and then you cut it out and you kind of attach it to a needle and you bring the needle over to another sample that you can put in a tem and you look at it that way okay but the problem with that is you, so typically you do that with an ion beam of metal so so you're, you're blasting this thing with metal because they're heavy and it's going to blast stuff away but then you're coating your whole sample with this metal everywhere so if you're trying to look at a memory element where your one and zero is made by like a few atoms forming a chain between your your metal areas having metal everywhere kind of shoots you in the foot <laughs> I'm trying to visualize what's happening and I I mean I'm, I feel like I'm so far off if, I'd have to come see the lab yeah if, if, if this wasn't a podcast and we had a visual element I could maybe <laughs> <laughs> sketch sketch some stuff but for, for the listeners maybe this is one of the first times that has happened where I'm just like whew, this is I mean you're dealing with stuff that when you talk to an average person like oh what do you do that's pretty, I mean, this is pretty far out there. Yeah, well, I mean, this is also kind of getting into the nitty-gritty details of, of TEM in situ sample preparation. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, there, there's not 10 million people in the world who are, you know, like doing this full. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a niche area because, you know, there's, there's TEM and there's people doing in situ TEM and there's people doing in situ TEM on devices. TEM is a... Transmission electron microscope. Electron microscope. Yes. And so would you have to, you know, would you ever get an idea of like what you wanted to look look at and then whether it's through the machining side or you know wanting to call the company that manufactures them like can you give me this i want to do this so we um the way so we actually had uh intel and micron who are like big big chip people they actually kind of uh they're part of our funding agency and we're kind of 
in with them and they're just like what do you guys want to look at like we're basically kind of brought on to this grant as like the tm guys so it's like well, what do you want to this see is through ucla or your company uh, it's through, this is through ucla this is kind of what funded my phd and uh so they said well we're interested in this type of memory and if you could use like so this kind of, this material with this material, like we'd be interested in seeing how that works. So so cool. that kind of drove what we did. And they must get kind of excited on their end, like awesome, something yeah. new. All the, right. Yeah. The, the the quote we had was um, the one of the guys from the company said, "If you guys can see this effect in one of these devices in the microscope, we would call that a greater than one hundred percent success." <laughs> and then we actually looked a, literally a year after that uh, email was sent, we had the data. Like no we, way. We took, like to the day, a year we took the data. So when you send them results back, do they send you a photo of all of them high fiving or cheers? No. Or so the, I mean, the thing is, it's uh, it's kind of a drop in the bucket because you know this is it, it's. For us, it was a major triumph, and you know, I got I got my name on a paper. This is you know, and this is it was it was a big deal for us. For them, they're just like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, it it showed some things. It, it definitely you know added to the field, but like I, I think that type of memory is actually starting to be used kind of commercially. But like I wouldn't even remotely claim to like have taken a part in it. It was something they were already interested in. They wanted to kind of learn more. But I think what we did was kind of important for kind of our field of looking at these types of devices in this type of microscope. Could they, I mean, I'm trying to think of practical applications for tiny little memory or tiny little processes. Could I, could you eventually have a little lens and a little camera like hidden in a hair on your eyebrow or something like that? <laughs> uh, so I, they go lift up your shirt. Yeah, yeah, I'm not wired. No, I mean, so any, anything, I mean, the computers are getting, you know, this, this Moore's law where everything's getting smaller and smaller. Back in the day, you had a transistor, you know, the size of your fist, and then they're just kind of scaling it down. So, I mean, if you can make something smaller, uh, they usually use less power, they generate less heat, and you can put more of them in, in, in an area. So, I mean, smaller is, yeah, always better. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's that's the, that's the whole procedure, the whole, like, that's what precipitates everything is just, or predicates it, I guess, is... Let's let's get it smaller, smaller, faster, less power. You know, fitter, happier, more productive. <laughs> uh-huh. And with these big instruments and everything being used, is the goal in the end that like will be this society of people operating with like minimal impact on the environment, or the things to manufacture them? Are they still going to always have a pretty big footprint? Uh, like the as in the actual machine. So yeah, no. So we work, you know, with. Uh, like the electron microscope, for instance, it's 300,000 volts that you have, you know, accelerating these electrons. So there's a, this huge tank. Uh, it's like a, it's called a high tension tank where they, they step up the voltage. And, and yeah, the, I mean, labs just blow through power like crazy. You know, you have a fume yeah. hood running. It's like in, running a casino. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just the the idea is that, you know, a, a few hundred labs doing that in the long run, if you can develop, you know, some a solar cell that's 10% more efficient, that's going to completely negate all of that footprint you, you know, you went into it. Right. Yeah. But I, I think of this sometimes with like electric cars, the people like driving newer cars, but I think there's something, it's either 60 or maybe 160,000 miles for that car to then offset the footprint yeah. to create well, it. And the other thing is like with solar cells, I think it's a little better now, but the idea was it would have to last for 20 years to offset the energy it took to melt the, the sand. And yeah. All that. Yeah. So what are your projections for like a future society? I mean, the, the self-driving car in Tempe just failed and set that back a little bit. So this, yeah. this weird world of like hopping into a car that takes you wherever you want to go is being pushed back. Are some of the other things as well? Uh, so, I mean, the, uh, the, the kind of field I'm in with like, you know, computer memory and stuff like that, that's got enough economic backing behind it that, you know, people are, people are going to be interested in that. Everything's going to need more and more computing power, especially with, you know, big data is on the rise and stuff like that. So that, I think that's probably never going away. I feel like, 
you know, we'll probably start with, you know, making things more energy efficient, like a more energy efficient car. And then once we have that under control, we'll be like, well, all the metal it takes to make that car is, is, you know, a huge waste. So maybe we'll kind of tackle that and make things either cheaper or last longer. That way, I think we're just kind of knocking down, you know, one peg at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, With the uh, crushing up old clunkers or big old cars like that. Are we just kind of like, is it the equivalent of, well, we got all this stuff on paper and it's cool, but just crumpling it up and like, let's start over again. And we're, you know, in the future having cars, we're like, you couldn't find some of those old ones. You couldn't find these devices that we have. I think of everything just eventually turning into like kind of this cloud based, everything you would see and, and there are no more tangible physical things. We're already moving yeah. away from books and, and CDs yeah, I, and stuff. I see that to some degree. I think, I think information will become largely digital, but I mean, I, I mean, people, I mean, people still ride bikes. People still go out to dinner, even though, you know, yeah. you could, you know, get things delivered and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think, I think to, to think that we're eventually just going to become, you know, the, the, people sitting in the chairs like in Wally, I think you have to ignore a lot of human nature where it's, you know, a lot of it's social and... But what percentage do you see riding bikes? You see what... I mean, 5% of the population? And in a city like Portland or Minneapolis, maybe... 12%, 20% 12%, 20% yeah. max. I mean, there's, I mean, there's definitely a, a group of people who, you know, just sit in their basement all day on, on, on the internet and, you know, playing, you know, I don't know if world of Warcraft is as big as it used to be, but I'm uh-huh. thinking of that South Park episode. There's definitely that. And there'll always kind of be that, but I'm sure, you know, a hundred years ago, there were cranky old guys who just sat in their house reading all day. You know, yeah. I think, I think, I don't know, at least not in our lifetimes. I don't think, I don't, I don't think things are going to change that dramatically. I'm always hesitant to think of like, oh man, the future by like 2032, things are going to be great. But I mean, if you look at what everybody thought 2018 was going to yeah. be, it's kind of ridiculous. I'm with you. I, I think that especially like the kind of austere buildings where everything is, sl- and there are a lot of like drab gray manufactured cars these days mm-hmm. or white and so you just see a stream of like this is real boring but in the movies all the buildings are those colors as well but then now you look like murals and street art are more popular than ever it's kind of like the human spirit fighting back to be like this will never go away mm-hmm. we'll always be churning out some sort of creativity yeah, colors yeah. etc I, I think when you when you make like a, a you know a futuristic kind of sci-fi landscape you, you basically take the things that you, you kind of look at what's changing in our society and, and you you kind of take that and almost make like a caricature where you exaggerate that feature where mm-hmm. you're just like, Oh man, cars are getting like sleeker and like self-driving. Like let's make these like super computing cars that, you yeah. know, or, you know, Oh, like built modern buildings are kind of like white and marble face. Let's make every single building look like that. But I mean, style, yeah. Style changes over time. I mean, that's, that's much more human than, yeah. I mean, it's part of being human. There's a, yeah. Well, what you're doing doesn't in any, any way remind me of like, you know, the gang that would get together to work on say the atomic bomb or something. But do you ever step back and be like, what are the applications or the ramifications from what I potentially might be giving someone? Say someone comes to you at nano electronic imaging incorporated. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. <laughs> and they say, we want this. And you go, wait a second, that could only be used for, would you still do it? Or is it exciting to just achieve it? Yeah, so I mean, I guess this is the whole, you, you know, uh, well, I mean, so we're, we're working on some of the stuff we're working on are the memory elements that will eventually be in, you know, Skynet that'll kind of take over the world. Um, I think if if I kind of, I don't know, I mean, that's kind of the, the moral question of, yeah, if you were asked to work on the bomb, would you? And then it's the question of, well, if we don't develop it, somebody else might. Um, yeah. For the time being, I mean, especially like having uh, having worked on something that is kind of 
more well you could say objectively good for humanity this dna sequencing stuff Mm -hmm. um i kind of took a lot of pride in that and i'm glad that i'm finally working on something again that like has potential benefits to you know the human race um yeah although with that dna stuff i've seen gattaca and and i know that (laughs) that can also go wrong so yeah yeah. i mean and with crispr and i mean all these things that like get put out there as oh this is imaginative and silly i feel like the the practical side of science goes fine we could do that yeah. and they start pushing toward it or like we were talking about like when you don't have an experiment necessarily you need an idea that suddenly becomes an idea sure yeah and you start moving in that direction and next thing you know like we do have tablets that you can hold in your hand and see someone talking with you which that was such a foreign oh, yeah, concept totally. and there that's just the tip of the iceberg i think with the amount of things that like that's science fiction now we have yeah. it yeah, I mean, I think I think where those questions will kind of come more into play is more on the engineering side, where like it, kind of the the general, not always, but the kind of the general flow of things is uh, basic science. Like you know, a physicist will discover some kind of like if you put this near this and do this, this will happen. Yeah, and then engineers figure out ways to kind of streamline that and kind of maximize that effect, and then put it into you know something that actually works. So at least on the physics end, you know, if this memory we're developing, you know could lead to you know skynet but it's the engineers who would do that so i guess the the ethical side i'm kind of passing the buck along to them and <laughs> and, and definitely with if you can get funding you can get funding i mean mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the name of the game so if somebody's like hey this could lead to super smart robots they'll take over the world give us money to study it like yeah. they'll probably still do that and honestly maybe this is a little facetious but super geniuses evil super geniuses <laughs> if i mean being racist and intolerant and xenophobic is not an evil genius it's no. just kind of an evil overlord you're just or, kind of being a dick <laughs> you're just kind of being a dick but if you're someone that could like say even just by listening to this podcast or come check out your lab and go ah i see what i could do with yeah, this yeah. and they implement a, a ray that would potentially set off volcanoes or something crazy like yeah, a yeah, movie yeah. would do and you go that's kind of cool that you knew how to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't see the evil geniuses of the world being, you know, the scientists in the lab. I see them being like, you know, a, a CEO who's like, I'm going to just funnel, you know, millions of dollars into your group, your group, your group, and mm-hmm. it's going to be secret. You give me, you know, all the patent rights to it, and that's how I'm going to create my death ray. You know, kind yeah. of different parts. Nobody really knows what's going on. But if you're that genius enough to even understand that those three groups you funneled the money into could pull it off, that's true. And what your application would be with it. It's still more impressive than just being racist and kind of angry and etc. Yeah, I, I would I would say the the super villain the super villain who creates a death ray is more impressive than the super villain who uses the <laughs> N word casually. One hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. Like I think if we were all like, what is happening? They go, yeah, I think this person figured out like how to implement all these devices into drones, then connect them through yeah. each other and have them hover over cities, sort of like they did in Sochi or no, not, not in Sochi. Where was it? Just in, um, Oh, South uh, Korea. Yes. Where they, the drones move and operate yep. like that. And now all of them have lasers and they can move over you like a pack of dogs that are in tel- and some super genius put that together. Oh yeah. Good for you. That's, some, that's really it's impressive. Great. Yeah. Well, and the other, and the way to, the way I kind of break it down when I see that is it was probably somebody's PhD thesis to figure out a laser guidance system. It was somebody's <laughs> thesis to figure out the computer, the computing algorithm to get them all moving together. You yeah. Know, all of, everything you see is probably, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred years worth of grad school career going into just the design <laughs> of it. Yeah. Maybe that's what's so frustrating beyond just the act and how sad of things like mass shootings are. It's mm. like, this is just a one-to-one like analog sort of it's, 
it's there's no genius involved in it. it's no. pure evil oh yeah no it's just i mean it's it's and it's kind of the opposite it's kind of kind of the opposite of genius it's kind of you're you're kind of afraid you're 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 not very confident in yourself you want to put your mark on the world yeah and you're just i mean honestly i, I see it a lot in this kind of my own little theory but I, I feel like a lot of these shootings are kind of we're in the kind of twitter generation where everybody kind of could potentially be famous you know you know if there's a shooting that's going to happen your picture is going to be on every newspaper i think it's a lot of people's way of making a mark on the world if they yeah. don't think they're if they don't think they're appreciated they don't think they can really contribute to the world everybody wants to be somebody everybody wants or 15 minutes and that's that gets you at least a solid week if you shoot down a school unfortunately so. yeah I think when people come to Los Angeles especially especially if they um, have ambitions to be a face that you see on mm-hmm. a billboard or in a movie and as time goes on they're just still wiping down tables and going hmm. mm. I think they maybe would revert more to yoga and meditation and kind of ways to be like, can I just be content to exist? Oh, to yeah, live? Yeah, and totally. I think there's real value in that yeah, for people absolutely. having to kind of come to terms with I'm just another one of the things that oh, happen to have been here. Absolutely. And I feel like that that that's not just, you know, actors in LA. I mean, that's every profession. I mean, you know, a percent of a percent are people who, you know, ever really do anything that kind of goes out in the history books. And you kind of, I, I feel like it's kind of dangerous to make your life aim to be like, I want to be one of the, I, I think you kind of got to prepare. You can, you know, kind of reach for that, but you got to prepare to be, no, I'm going to be good at what I do and I'm going to enjoy it. Like, yeah. I think that's, uh, if that's your goal in life, you're, going to hopefully be happy you know that's a really i think like healthy outlook thanks <laughs> to just kind of i mean do you so your specifics in physics specifics in physics that almost rhymes uh, almost going rap battle go <laughs> <laughs> the specifics in physics i mean you are looking real deep into the quantum side but when you gaze out at the universe is there still a familiarity there and atoms etc and radiation and dark matter and understanding kind of like Okay, here's my place within that. Does that help you? Um, you mean in terms of like what I'm studying or just like where we are in the universe? A bit of both. Yeah. I mean, as I, I kind of accept that I'm a I'm a drop in a bucket a drop in the bucket for humanity and I'm cool with that. Uh, as, <laughs> as far as what I'm studying, it's kind of you know, if you kind of look out towards the universe, I'm kind of looking in the complete opposite direction. You know, I'm looking at kind of the smallest bits of matter, whereas, you know, going into astronomy and stuff is the biggest bits of matter. Um, and I mean, it's cool that there's a lot of the same rules apply, you know, like the, you get the same equation for, you know, the gravitational pull of a planet as you do for like the 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 force uh, that an electron has on, on, on something else that's charged. So mm-hmm. and there, there's a harmony in that. So that, that's kind of, that's kind of pleasing. That's, you know, that Do you universe think makes it sense. keeps going? Meaning like we are just this part in the spectrum that thinks that's the bottom of the bucket into this quantum world. And out there is whether it's like a, a cone and we think we're right near the, yeah. the entry point and it just expands further. So there's, there is some stuff that kind of works on like absolute length scales. So I, I think, cause you could be like, well, you know, what if we're just in an atom? And it's just like the rules change as, as you get smaller. So like it's, it's the, it's the idea and it's something as simple as, you know, gravity, you know, is, is a big deal to us. It keeps us on the ground. Whereas like, you know, we can easily put our hand through water cause we don't care about surface tension. When you get down to centimeter size, you see those little jumper bugs where the surface tension is a much bigger deal to them than, than gravity is. And as yeah. you get smaller, you know, in our samples, you know, they're nanometer, hundred nanometer in scale. I can put them in a, a box. And as long as they're like taped down, I can flip them all around. They don't care. They don't know where up and down is, uh-huh. you know? So yeah, I think there's, there's some absolute length scales that kind of keep everything in 
in order. So I, I don't, I don't think that we're part of, you know, a, a, you know, that men in black little cat charm with the universe yeah. in it or whatever. So you don't think if you were the size of a quark or even just one of your electrons going down the tube mm. and you're running behind it and you're watching the electron that's your size kind of bounce up and down a little bit yeah. and it looks like Pac-Man or something or just, <laughs> and you're like, Oh, cool. Then what would, you know, what could fit in your hand or what would potentially be in the, yeah. I mean, that's you, you kind of, I think part of it is just, you're searching for something tangible that you understand. And I don't, I I'm, I don't understand, you know, wholly, I won't, won't say that I wholly understand quantum physics and how things get when they get smaller, but the more you learn about it, the more you kind of accept that, you know, something, when you get down to a certain point, a thing isn't really a dead set thing in that position. It's kind of a haze of probabilistic states. And that's where you get down into quantum physics. And I think the idea is you just kind of accept that. (laughs) And I think there's, I think it was Feynman who uh, was giving a talk on, on quantum physics and somebody asked him a question about, and he's like, look, there are about five people in the world who really truly understand this. And if I try to explain it to you, there's going to be four people in the world who truly understand this. <laughs> so I think a, a lot of it is just kind of like, this is some crazy shit and this is our best explanation for it. And we, we see evidence of it working in the world. So that's kind of what happens, even though it doesn't really make sense to you. I, you know, when they talk about the atom being the building block, that makes sense. Cause you're picturing like, Oh, we want to start stacking up little cubes mm-hmm. and making things Lego style or whatever. You got to have the smallest, but then you go, well, that's actually more of like a soup. It's this weird collection of unknowns that, yeah, like the the overall structure or the capsule that holds all of it is the atom. And then does that, does that give you different thoughts on like God or the, you know something that would okay if there are building blocks then something built it or is that too much of a stretch? No, I mean I uh, it's, I'm not I'm not particularly religious and, and just because kind of for me like everything you know everything you dig in dig into in physics doesn't really like require kind of a celestial explanation. I mean I also believe if you if you think there's a set of rules and I could totally buy that you know maybe there was a God who set those rules in motion, um, but I think I think just you know, the, the deeper you dig you're I mean, over and over we've shown with physics that the deeper you dig, the more you find that, you know, the math kind of agrees and there's, there's kind of a reasonable explanation for stuff. I mean, look at the, like the Higgs boson, um, which is, you know, the most expensive experiment ever conducted. And it really just was, see, look, we have this equation and, and, and it predicted this particle and look, it's there, Yeah, you know? So, and that's kind of, I, I don't know if I agree with how much money was spent on that, but it's definitely one of those like physics it works like it absolutely works. Yeah. You know, it, but does that discount the existence? I know you say you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it yeah. or, but, but does it ever come up where you're like, if I were building it, here's yeah, how I would say I, it. that's so the, the kind of two ways it kicks around in my head is that like there, I mean, there's a ton of elegance in, in, in physics and, and how everything works together and how, I mean, it, when you get down to it, everything in physics, every equation kind of starts with nothing happens unless it happens. So, you know, you have F equals MA, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. Even if you go to the heat equation, it just basically says temperature kind of smooths out unless there's a heat source, um, electric field, there's, you know, the electric field smooth, unless there's a, a, a source of charge like that. It's really what everything in physics kind of boils down to. So on one hand, you could say like, wow, that's like really kind of an intelligent way of, of, of somebody to have designed it. But on the other hand, if everything's just based off of nothing happens unless it happens, and that's kind of the golden rule of the universe, I mean, that's that it's kind of logical. I don't know where it kind of started, but that's kind of logical that that's just how things work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That seems the most um, rational to me. And yeah. trying to attach other things outside of it, I think are... Um, uh, everyone's trying to do that because mm-hmm. to give some sense to it. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's reasonable. But do you cut slack to like, I mean, obviously you probably wouldn't if someone is uh, using their religion in the name of like being a jerk, but yeah, no, I, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not particularly religious, but I am not one of those guys who's like, you're, you're cheating. You're, you're confusing yourself. You're lying to your kids and all that. Like I was raised, you know, like I went to like, you know, I got first communion and went to Sunday school and all that. And then it was eventually like, ah, it's not really, you know, my thing. And my parents didn't like really push it on us. They're just kind of, you know, believe what you want to believe. And, um, and I know people who even, even in the sciences, like people in, in my program who are, you know, pretty religious and they're just, they reconcile with it. Like, you know, it's, you know, everything in the Bible isn't wrote true, but I believe like God is there and, and he kind of set the rules in motion, which I, I absolutely respect. And I can actually, you know, I can see to some degree. How often does that come up? Very um, rarely. No, there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's at least one person in my lab who, who feels that way. In my old lab, there was a guy who actually, he would give talks on kind of reconciling Christianity and, and physics. Um, it was pretty interesting. I, I mean, he was, he was kind of asking me about like, you know, you know, where do your values come from? And I was like, well, you know, my, like my, uh, my uh, parents, you know, are, are Catholic, you know, casual Catholics, but Catholics nonetheless. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, like a lot of what Jesus said and, and, I mean, I think all that was kind of a really good way for humans to exist. I mean, I think it it makes the human existence better if we kind of follow these rules of just like, don't be a dick to, to each other. <laughs> yeah. And, sure, and his take on it was more like, I believe that humans it's good for humanity because Jesus showed us how to live that way. You know, mm-hmm. kind of not kind of chicken before the egg where it's not we don't act like that because it's good. It's good because Jesus made it good. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that nearly as well as he did, but yeah. it was it, it's. It made me think, and I, I don't know. I fully, fully respect that. I yeah. don't have any, yeah, any problems with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I'm, I do have kind of a fascination with finding out like how people who get like real deep into those kind of sciences, yeah, find, feel well, about those things. It's, I mean, you, if you're at all science minded, like you don't take the Bible to be literal from the get-go so you probably don't take a lot of religious doctrine you know adam and eve and all that to to be literal i mean you're more at that point you're more of a spiritual person and a lot of it is kind of your personal relationship with god and, and all that which which again is i mean that's a that's a great thing and that gets that's a lot of people you know have much happier lives than they would without that well i think the th- where for me, it's when talking about it, it seems kind of like we keep referencing the Bible, but that's just because of our place on the globe. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, just the kind of spirituality in general. And I think, I think, I think if you're a hardcore, you know, Bible thumping Christian, it's very, very difficult to reconcile that with science, which maybe is, you know, kind of the source of kind of this anti-science kind of movement yeah. going on now. But I feel like in general, it's, it's just people who are spiritual. That doesn't necessarily disagree with, you know, anything that we know for a fact, you know, we, there's these unknowns, which are like, well, yeah, this, this is all harmony. Of course that's God. Like a lot of people, and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of scientists who say, you know, if the, uh, if this isn't proof of God, I don't know what is, you know, like yeah. all these, all these things kind of interacting together. I actually think I had a math professor who I think it's E to the I pi is negative one or something like that. And he's just like, we have E, we have I, we have pi and we have negative one. If that isn't proof of God, I don't know what is. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I'm going to be really embarrassed if I got that wrong, but I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't E to the negative one something interesting as well? It's one over E. <laughs> one over e. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing all my nerdy math sort of equations that you would see uh, when I was in college. Like, ooh, this is fascinating. <laughs> you know, speaking of like hardcore Christians where there are two genders, a man should marry a woman, mm. you know, you, you cursed, well, it's probably going to go to hell. Any, you know, any behavior outside of just, I'm waiting till marriage and then I'm going to have sexual intercourse just to reproduce. And I think even the most 
devoutly into that person would go like, I'm having these urges and denying the fact that you're like this biological thing that is sort of hardwired to reproduce and trying to talk yourself out of it. That would be a hard way to live. When, oh, yeah, and I, for sure. and with science where you're just like, I'm taking it all in. I, I'm comfortable with what it is that I am, whether I'm a trans person or gay or mm-hmm. someone that on and on and on. I'm curious, like when you're just, it's kind of nice probably in a lab to just study, you know, atoms and the smallest quantum sort of. Part. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's comforting having it be cut and dry. Like I, um, I know people who are, you know, kind of doctors or, or pharmacists and things like where you're actually kind of dealing with people, your your what you do affects their lives. And I mean, I don't want to say I wouldn't have the stomach for that, but I'm really, really happy that I don't have to like the worst thing I could do is like break an expensive piece of machinery that there's a warranty on anyways. You know, it's this is some <laughs> yeah. comfort in that. And it is yeah, I mean it's nice uh, you know, to have Especially when you when you're, you're kind of when you're looking at samples where you know exactly what it is, you, you know it's you know whatever this metal and this metal with this insulator in between it, and it's going to function this way. There's something comforting about that, you know. And even I think yesterday I was I was characterizing some samples that I made, and I was like, I made six, and six of them worked, and I like put a smile on my face, like it's yeah, yeah. It's an it's it's little pleasures <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I I feel like everyone needs it. I think that's a very human thing. Maybe I'm wrong, but the connecting two things, completing something, oh, yeah. having things reconcile. It's, it's very gratifying for mm-hmm. sure, yeah. And if you're really, really devoutly religious and you're trying to make those connections through things of like, see, the sun came up again. Ta-da! <laughs> yeah. Whoever is real, like, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I, did you ever watch the show Insomniac with Dave Attell? Yes. So there was this episode where he went late at night, I think in Las Vegas, with a crime scene cleaning upper guy. Yeah. Do you remember this? I vaguely recall. I used to like watch it on like E at like, you know, two in the morning <laughs> when parents were asleep. So the guy would be the type that, you know, cuts the blood splotch out of a rug and then <laughs> rolls it up and throws it in some sort. And he's wearing a hazmat suit and yeah. scrubbing, you know, horrific crime scenes off the wall and blood and other and uh at one point david tell asks him like so when you see this does it like change your perception and you know what do you think we are and he goes i think it we're just bags of water that are walking around there's nothing more to us we're just on this rock because and i think that like where you who you are obviously gets you into that job to a certain degree how you're genetically sort of put together but then also like every day you're you're kind of like inundated with or exposed to this behavior of humans, Mm -hmm. the stuff that no one else really sees other than on movies and TV. When you're really seeing and smelling how that smells and going, we're such a terrible species. Look how we treat each (laughs) other. We are, we're nothing. We're we're just these little things that like, once you're dead, it's just, that's it. And I'm curious, like with you being in it, like what are your thoughts on what humanity is? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, the area I'm in is kind of, you know, pretty, pretty cold, I guess. And you know, there's not like a, a lot of humanity in it. I think in general, I, I kind of am a bit philosophical too. You know, I think about the world and people and I don't know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff. <laughs> so I mean, that's kind of, I, I mean, I, yeah, and I think it's kind of unrelated. Like, I think I have a decent intuition for people and stuff like that, but I, I don't think, I don't know to what degree, like being in science has kind of influenced that, you mm-hmm. know, I, um, I mean, definitely give some perspective on things, I guess, to kind of know what the very, very small has in store. And also kind of, you know, when people are like, oh man, just in five years, like they're going to implant a microchip in our brain and that's going to be, and I'm like, that's, that's not going to happen. Like that's, yeah. you know, I think it, I think it more gives, gives me a, a better perspective on just kind of technology and where it's going. Well, the late, the, and then I don't think this is a new one, but people kind of having this thing that, 
oh, the natural state of evolution is just humanity is just a part of it. And like, we're the stepping stone to get to fully automated world or whatever. And you're like, yeah, eh, I no, I mean, I, I definitely disagree when people would be like, you know, if we all we use is our brains and typing peers, we're eventually going to lose our legs. I'm like, that's not, not how evolution works at mm-hmm. all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see, um, you know, the singularity. I see, I can see that being a definite possibility. I, I mean, when you get down to it, you know, a human brain cell is, it's a memory element. And, and part of the stuff we've been studying is, is, um, memory elements that kind of mimic what the brain does where you're not just one and zero, you kind of have one and like, you know, 0.5 and you know, you, you can remember stuff more or less. And there's kind of an analog component to it. You're not just ones and zeros. You're there's kind of a full spectrum. And I think going from digital to analog is where a lot of these kind of creative, you know, what the hell is this kind of human elements are. So I, I could see eventually, yeah, creating something that could kind of mimic that. I think it's I think it's possible. I think it's in that realm that I mean we're so new theoretically on a on a 13 billion year old thing that yeah. our little existence could be and then that seems like what what was the impetus there to go from bacteria in the sea to then robots that can't be I mean, I guess they can drown, but they can't freeze to death, really. A lot of the ways that we're fallible, like robots, oh, yeah. would be a little more stable. Well, and if there, is the, if there is the big, you know, machine war a la Terminator, I mean, they're going to exploit things that we're vulnerable against and they're not, and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of things we don't think about as far as, like, we're sensitive to extreme heat and on yeah. and on and on, whereas they might be like, I'm okay with this. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, electronics, I, I mean, if I spill a cup of water on my laptop, it's so i mean they're, i'm not too worried yet yeah now they seem like dumb hypothetical things but yeah i mean right right now they're they're basically you know our, our little puppies you know that at best and and not nearly as loving as a puppy so <laughs> yeah i maybe maybe I, i'm assuming as as things get better i mean it seems like like elon musk and stuff are, are really fighting against ai yeah. becoming a thing so I, i'm hoping that there's kind of ethics for, I, I mean, I bet we have the ability to clone people right now, but at least, I mean, at least in the U S I don't know about China, they're not doing it. Yeah. So, and there's some bit of ethics and morality that goes into that, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, maybe we can get the technology, but we'll put, you know, three rules or whatever to, <laughs> to prevent that from being an issue. I don't know though. Oh man, you're getting into iRobot territory. Well, but I've only seen the movie though. I'm not, not, not a huge reader. So. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read much, uh, off mm. also, but, uh, no, it's funny that people had those ideas so long ago, and yeah. then we're moving toward it. And like your field didn't even exist then. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I mean, it's basically sci-fi is science philosophy. If you're, thinking, and I guess that actually works out with the letters too. Sci-fi. <laughs> oh man, we're <I'm> patent that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, you're you're kind of if you have kind of a grasp of where you know technology is and the kind of trajectory it's on, you can extrapolate you know beyond that. And I think we've done a little bit of that here. And mm-hmm. it's just some people are particularly creative with it. Yeah. yeah. So where would you like to see nano electronic <laughs> imaging incorporated in say five or 10 years? Back to the company. Yeah. So uh, to we're slowly trudging through exactly where what the, the experiments are and stuff. Just a lot of background. Um, so we have the microscope. We have really thin devices. We have good ways of making devices function. Um, when we started looking at these devices, some were really easy to see. Like you have a memory element where, um, like you move around some copper atoms and that kind of forms your one and zero. Like you, <laughs> so the basically it is you have a metal insulator, metal stack, and you apply a voltage to it and you get a little like shard of copper that kind of like 
reaches out and touches the other one and so electricity can travel through that's your ones and zeros okay so we had we you know a good time with that you know got a paper out on it then we tried using the same exact techniques to look at like a slightly different kind where it's like either you know a slight change in the crystal causes things to be conductive or like you move you know some like light atoms like oxygen around and i spent probably three or four months just looking at absolute nothing in the microscope like we, we can see that things are changing uh, like like we're getting these devices are behaving exactly as we want them to and we're seeing absolutely nothing in the microscope so um this transmission electron microscope is really good at seeing physical structure so Mm -hmm. you can see what type of atom you're looking at how dense it is how many atoms you're looking through if there's any crystalline structure you can see that really well but if we're looking at a memory element we don't really care about that a lot of times we care if there's you know if you put if you apply a voltage to something the tm can't see that it doesn't it doesn't change the atoms and all the scattering occurs on the atoms not the electrons so um, what we want to know is kind of the electronics and nanoelectronic devices and like the thermal, what's going on thermally and things like that. So in order to kind of basically finish my PhD, I had to, you know, kind of throw a Hail Mary. We tried this kind of old technique where you basically measure what goes on in the sample when the beam hits it. Mm-hmm. And when we did that things lit up like crazy, you know? So whereas we're seeing nothing in all these traditional imaging channels, we were seeing like, you know, this conducting path, like light up, like just completely bright on the screen that you just can't really see through any other, te- any other techniques. So we're, the company is basically right now we're, we applied for government funding, which literally any day now we could find out about. Um, yeah. So they, they uh, the government invests in small businesses to develop kind of, you know, cutting edge technology that might be a little risky. So we're trying to develop that into a way where we can actually kind of like measure temperature and, and electronic properties on like a, like a nanometer scale. Um, and on the side, we're going to, you know, we have some patents out for maybe uh sample holder designs that we could sell to companies where you could get this uh, kind of technique into anybody's hands. And then we also might do some kind of private research for, let's say if Intel wants to know what the hell's going on with this new type of chip, we can figure out how to make it compatible with the microscope and, and use our technique to see what's going on. So that's hmm. kind of the the services the company would offer. Um, as far as what's happening in five years, if I get supported for two or three of them and can kind of, you know, get this fee, I, I th- I, I'm kind of a true believer. I really feel like this field is going to kind of change the game and TM stuff at least. So I'm hoping that I can at least, you know, get these few papers out that we, to kind of set the, the field in motion. Um, and then if we have more funding, I can kind of continue growing that. And there's other ideas we have for different signals you can get from the sample. So it's, it, it really comes down to looking at what's going on in, in the sample you're studying versus like what happens. Like, like t- typically you're imaging something and you see what happens to the electrons that pass through it, but you basically have no, you get no word from the device you're looking at. So that's yeah. kind of the difference we're doing. Hmm. Man, I mean, it, to get say you get the funding, then you have to have a location figured out, and like all these expensive it's machines so, go in. Yeah, so I mean, so a lot of it, um, at least for a company that's starting up, uh, universities have user facilities, and then everything. Pretty much everything we do, we're using like a university facility to do. Like we don't have one of these microscopes in our lab. We don't have a clean room in our lab. We use them on UCLA campus. And uh, UCLA is a pretty good uh, startup program where they kind of put you in touch with lawyers who help you get incorporated for free and and kind of no fee bank accounts and stuff like that to kind of get you off the ground. Cool. Um, And then there's the California Nanosystems Institute on campus, which has an incubator where hopefully if we get funding, we can uh, rent office space there. But that also gives us, um, we get, 
pay the academic rates for all these user facilities that are necessary for the company to function, which are like, you pay like probably more than twice if you're a company coming in. So it's <laughs> This big. must be when you go back and hang out with your buddies in the band, they're like, what are you up to? And they're like, oh, yeah, I am still delivering pizzas and stuff. And uh, Karen's pregnant and yeah, it's, it's going well. And you're like, I'm trying to get this DM. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I'm, ex- I'm really excited about it. And, and the, you know, a lot of my friends would be like, oh, that's so cool. But at the same time, I mean, I've been, you know, I've, I've going on like s- uh, seven years, you know, in grad school, plus, you know, the research I'm doing after it. And then, uh, you know, four years of undergrad, I took two years in between and all this time I'm making less money than, you know, my friends started making, you know, 12 years ago, fresh out of college, you know? Yeah. So it's cool. But at the same time, I, I mean, it's hopefully it pays off financially in the future, but I mean, I am. Uh, you know, I, uh, the job I had before entering grad school, like I'm making more than I did now, you know, it's yeah. the type of thing where there's, there's definitely trade-offs for it. And, and hopefully I can be a big wig, you know, in, in five or 10 years, but you know, it's, it, it's, it's exciting, but it sucks in a lot of ways too. <laughs> and then all this business stuff is kind of, you know, I'm definitely very new to it and it's exciting. But at the same time, I've heard anybody who starts a company in, in sciences just ends up looking for funding and kind of steps away from the science. So yeah, it feels like the West. I mean, people come out West. It still it exists that pioneer boomer bust yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. it feels probably, I know a lot of scientists like go into it knowing like I'm not going to make much money. I'm mostly going to be in research. Sure. But I just love it. That's yeah, And that's exactly where I came from. Like I just, my goal in life is to not get bored. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be stuck in a job where I'm processing TPS reports all day. And yeah. you know, so for the time being, I love it. Like I absolutely love it. Like I get like every time something works, it's really exciting. I have, you know, a, a five or, you know, at least like a five year runway of like other stuff. We haven't even started studying that I'd like yeah. to, you know, use all these techniques for. Whoa. So you do, is that something you'd have to build like a five-year plan kind of, or is, or these are just things you're like, I'm excited and it would take five years to do that. Um, well, so it's, uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, the stuff I have, so I have a year proposal for the stuff, um, that that we apply for government funding for. And I think that'll take a solid year to do. And then if that kind of works, you can get, apply for a couple more, uh, years of funding through the same program. And the idea with that is to kind of commercialize it. And I'm hoping that we can kind of get side contracts along the way. So we could also be starting to do research on, on other areas, but I mean, to get anything done in science, it takes, you know, at least, you know, three or four years really. And that's, so that's why, you know, anybody's PhD is like one thing that kind of went well, you know? Yeah. This is such like a bizarre field. It's so small and like relatively intangible in in so many ways for people. Like it's it's also too, I mean, as far as the business side goes, like, I mean, it's cool that I'm, I'm saying nanoelectronic imaging incorporated on a podcast that I'm sure tons of people listen to, but how many of those people are going to be in this particular part of this particular niche field like yeah. oh i need some elect- nano uh, electronic imaging <laughs> yeah my nano electronics aren't being imaged <laughs> there I'm has to be a better way here. i got all these nanos <laughs> <laughs> ah yeah i mean who is a, maybe that evil genius is listening like finally Dude, I mean, I'll, I'll leave with genius for a couple years and I can always, I can always <laughs> if I start seeing it go towards death rate and be like, it's just not working, man. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's up. Yeah. What if you did start making so much money that you couldn't, you couldn't spend it fast enough, but you knew there were like applications that it was being used for. Like maybe they could do something like, uh, 
repopulate the bee populations around the world with little tiny memory devices that were tiny. All right. And you'd be like, okay, I'm helping with something great. Yeah. But then those bees start spying on people and being hordes of killing machines. And you go, oh, I did that. But is the honey cheaper? Is the honey's that's, a lot cheaper. Okay, I mean, you've, there's the pluses and minuses. We're in a capitalistic society. You have to consider the pluses <laughs> and minuses here. The bees pollinate and then they go knock off work and they get some drinks, they get chatting. Then they go out and do their evil stuff and then the evil genius who's controlling them like presses yes. You can, you know, absolve yourself and be like, look, I, I just made them. I, yeah. I didn't tell them to go do these terrible things. Yeah, I mean... I mean, what, Alfred Nobel felt bad about making dynamite, so he so he made the Nobel Prize. I mean, there's, I'd, I'd start a foundation to to help me sleep at night. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. I give away all my money. Sorry, I killed ten million people. Does it feel though like the applications are unknown so far, and that you know, like the first person that made a, a microchip, I'm, I suppose they knew it was going to be necessary, but not to the degree of like we're going to sell a billion of these. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the first person to come up with a microprocessor. Never thought like, oh, this is going to go into the guidance system of a missile. You know, yeah. it's not. It's it's got you've got to progress. You know, technology just as it's kind of your goal as as a scientist. And as far as what's what it gets used for, you just kind of hope it doesn't get used for that. But I, I don't think I think unless you're kind of like a couple steps away from it being kind of something really you know terrible and unethical, um, I don't see any reason to kind of slow down progress until until we get to that point. You know, yeah. Like, and then what always happens is the person goes, "It's not supposed to be this way," and they get <laughs> locked up or they get clubbed over the head or something. And you go, "Well, at least I tried." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was taken out of your hands and used for something horrific. In the yeah. movies, it's always like the bad guys show up in a couple of Hummers and they barge into your yeah, lab. And, and, and the other thing too is like you, it would none of this would ever get reduced to like a guy and then like a bad guy and a scientist. Like there's never yeah. you know there's that like James Bond thing where it's like this is the only scientist who could activate <laughs> this. It's like nah, dude, he's got. It's just, first of all, it's not going to be him. It's going to be his grad student who's going to know how to do everything. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's it's just teams of people. I mean, it's it's and that's the thing too where where people uh, kind of talk about you know, oh, the government has all this technology that they don't let us have. And it's like, dude, like there takes so many, it takes hordes and hordes of researchers to come up with anything. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess there's some companies where, you know, the, the way they're applying these, you know, these, they're kind of putting these things together from different parts and making, you know, weapons of mass destruction. But as far as like, there's nobody, like nobody's figured out time travel, like nobody's figured out teleportation and stuff like that. And they just have it secret in a lab. Especially, I mean, most of the research happens in academic labs where where if you don't publish, you're dead to the world. You know, mm -hmm. so those things you just brought up, like when you're working, like you know, you get to keep your head down a little bit and just focus on what's right in front of you. But earlier, I think you brought up the concept of time a little bit and kind of understanding how the universe maybe is put together. Do you spend much time thinking about that? Uh, a little bit. It's um, again, it's kind of the thing where as as you realize how little you know about particular fields, um, I couldn't talk particularly intelligently about like the big bang and stuff like that. Um, but I've seen, you know, seen enough talks from people and I actually saw a talk recently that they kind of proposed the big bounce, which is actually kind of more up my alley, I think. Um, but I saw that Owen Wilson and Morgan Freeman, not a great movie. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, and the idea, the idea with that is, you know, the universe is expanding now, but eventually, you know, it gets to a point where gravity starts pulling things together and then it all contracts and then you get, it compresses into a big bang and then kind of expands the other way Ooh. and kind of goes back and forth. So, I mean, it kind of, 
I, I think it's it's very human to think of like a linear timeline where like there's a beginning and it keeps going and there's an end. But I feel like if you kind of put this loop into it, then it just kind of cycles over and over. And, and then so the idea of infinity in each direction becomes a thing. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think about it. I, I definitely don't. I, I don't lose sleep over it because I'm just like yeah, I kind of accept that. Like I'm never going to figure this out, and you know, in my lifetime, it's not going to be of consequence. But it's. Uh, it, it is satisfying when you kind of hear an idea that, that meshes with you. Like I really enjoyed that talk. Cause I'm just like, that makes a lot of sense to me. This whole yeah. idea of like uh, to have a big bang and have a starting point, you kind of require something bigger than that. You yeah. know, it's gotta be part of something. Whereas if you're kind of going into infinity and, 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 and a cycle, a cycle can kind of stand on its own, I guess. Ooh. All right. Well, you were doing motions with your hands, I guess is, good of time as any to ask you did you listen to any have you listened to the show at all i listened to a couple episodes yeah did i ask them the question of what the universe would feel like uh not in the ones i listened to oh great okay, okay. so you are huge and the universe is hey. relatively <laughs> <laughs> in this scenario sure comparatively you're just enormous who knows what's around you but you're holding our universe mm-hmm. and it's roughly the size of a basketball what does it feel like what's the shape Nothing. to you it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the universe is massive and massive amounts of empty space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, so that's. I mean, you, you've seen the thing where they yeah they set up the the solar system in the desert like to scale and stuff like that. Yeah, and, I mean, there's there's with the caveat that there's you know, kind of this this dark matter where and, and dark energy and stuff like that, which yeah, apparently we can't measure it with our you know at least by feeling it. So yeah, so, so I guess we can take that out of the equation. But yeah, I mean, I don't. But what about a black hole pulling in things and the incredible density it takes to for a single tiny thing to be so dense? uh, Well, I mean, you can kind of think of it as you move your hand through the air, you're hitting dust particles, Mm -hmm. um, but you don't feel that, you know? So there could be little black holes happening there pulling in dust particles. Maybe at best if it's like you're in the desert and there's a windstorm, you kind of feel little, you know, pings off your face. (laughs) So. (laughs) So, okay, so it would have sort of an atmospheric feel to it. Possibly. I mean, it would be... I guess I've never waved my hand through a vacuum, but I guess, yeah, I guess air is kind of the, the best thing we have for it. But yeah, you'll, you'll hit some stuff. But I mean, I think if you're comparing, you know, if, if it is the size of the basketball, I think the, the, the size of the particles you'd hit, even hitting like the biggest stars and stuff like that, I mean, would be so minuscule. I yeah. mean, it's probably the, I don't know the actual scale, but it's probably the equivalent of like, if you hit like an electron with your hand, it's probably like the size of the biggest star. And you know, that does nothing yeah. to you or uh, even, okay, yeah. or you can even think of like, you know, if you like neutrinos and things that just pass through you, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it's, Oh yeah. You're the first one to say that, that it's just nice. kind of nothing. Yeah. yeah. Sort of, okay. There's a button. And by pushing this button, you eliminate all of humans on planet earth. Push it. they don't feel anything and they go wherever they go if there's an afterlife they go there but all of humans and their structures well maybe not their structures but just humans eliminated gone immediately would you think about pushing it would never like what would you be on that no i mean is there any is there any plus side to hitting it other than like nihilism like (laughs) well like the animals getting researched on the ecosystems getting crushed the species going extinct oh so just just humans just the humans yeah yeah. no no not at all i wouldn't (laughs) no i mean yeah i i enjoy being alive too much and i mean for all the awful things that humans do like they're us you know you you Mm -hmm. gotta you, you got to fight for your team <laughs> and, and then we do a lot of great things and I don't think music is fun. Movies are cool. Like I think, yeah. yeah. When you look around at what's happening and some people maybe would say it's a little 
hyperbolic or it's a little much to say that this is similar to like, you know, Stalin or Mussolini or mm-hmm. Hitler or things like that. But like these things in history repeating themselves of exclusion and oh, yeah. oppression, et cetera. Yeah. And people are, are frustrated by it currently, especially in the United States. And, and it's taken sort of a toll on people's ability to just enjoy life being alive, even if it doesn't necessarily affect them. They're not like mm-hmm. going to be deported anytime soon, but still just like the fact that it's a risk or a, um, a danger to other people affects them. How, how do you process that? Well, so I think, uh, I mean, I think a lot of the uh, people have genuine concerns and there's, I think there's a lot of things to be kind of, you know, generally concerned about, but I feel like a lot of that is kind of like team mentality where you see how, how, I mean, I'm from Boston. You see how crazy people get about, you know, the Patriots and the Red Sox and stuff like that. I think people genuinely enjoy having a side, loving their side and hating the other side. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of this, I feel like most of the country, if if either a lot of political beliefs are very kind of moderate, you know, like, you know, I believe in, you know, I I believe in these kind of fiscally conservative ideas. I can see where that comes from, but I also like, you know, I I believe, you know, all these kind of social ideas. I, I think, a lot of what we hear and a lot of the loudest people are the ones who are extreme to one side or the other. And then the other side gets even more extreme to the opposite end to kind of compensate for that. And I feel like a lot of people get swept up in that. Like I, I have, a, I have a few, so I'm, 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 you know, I'm very liberal, but I, I have some people in my life who are extremely conservative, like full blown Trump supporters. And they're not stupid people. They're not mean people. I'm just anything that kind of goes, anything that crazy that either Trump decides or something happens. I always kind of default to them and say like, what is like, what's the positive of this? Like as a conservative, like what? And, and a lot of times it's rational. It's not, it's sometimes it's, it's as simple as like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want my money going towards people who didn't earn it. And, and that's, I mean, for me, that seems a little selfish, but that's also reasonable. I mean, especially if, you know, some people who kind of came from nothing and earned all their money, why should, they get their money taken away by people who aren't working for it. At the same time, I've seen people who were on, you know, uh, who were on welfare who had to work two jobs because they couldn't get benefits uh, and they couldn't get benefits because they weren't working full time at either side. So I try to see both sides of it. And I feel like in general, there's really no reason for either side to be completely up in arms and completely hate the other. Um, but at the same time, like yeah, it's pretty garbage times right now. <laughs> I always think that I'd like to be um, support a team, but if say the owner or the general manager or the quarterback did something terrible, I would withhold or abstain a bit as opposed to just like, you got to support them no matter what. Yeah. But I mean, even at that, like you look at a baseball team, like, you know, every three, four five years, the entire team turns over and people still love them just as much. Like it really, I mean, you could say it's about the city, but none of those players came from that city. It's about, it's about belonging to something. Totally. Yeah, man. Well, Billy, this is thoroughly enjoyable, man. I oh, really no, thank a, you so much for yeah. having me on and promoting my my defunct band and <laughs> my my newly blossoming business. Well, hopefully, you'll send some music to play some Forrest Henderson. Sure, that'd be and great. then, man, if you guys are in need of nano imaging, Nano Electronic Imaging Incorporated, soon Incorporated. to be in Los Angeles, is the place to go. Um, jingle, jingle is impending. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, dude. This was great. No, thank you very much. I love those kind of chats. I hope you do as well. Challenging, thought-provoking, hopefully entertaining as well. Not that I had a a grand design starting this podcast, but I, 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 I guess I always hope that conversations have that sort of form to some degree, where we learn a little bit about William, former frontman of Forrest Henderson. How'd you like the song last time? I thought they were pretty good. I can release more as well. And I'll put up some uh, photos of some of his work that he's done in the lab there at UCLA. And obviously, you know, when you're in the nano imaging business 
or in, in the need for it in the future, you know where to look now. So uh, for some reason, you need some <laughs> nano imaging, you know where to go. Good luck to Billy and his business, and I hope to get him back in at some point. And uh, because he lives here in LA, maybe we'll take advantage of that from time to time. There's so many people, and we haven't had anyone from SpaceX yet, and there's Hyperloop things, and there's, there's a bunch of different places that... Um, still have yet to be represented. We've had a few Caltech people and JPL people and um, CalArts people, I guess. I don't know. I want to get. The, I want to cover the whole, all the bases and everything that's available here. Um, anyway, I won't chew your ear off. This music that uh, I'm going to play was a recommendation from a listener, Ryan McWilliams, who I randomly ran into a while ago. He comes to the junk show pretty frequently, and he's also contributed to the, the music for the year-end compilation of the 16-second story. So he's an integral member of the junk show and uh, listens to this show as well and said, Hey, here's some music. I don't know if you like this, but I think it would be good for the end. And I do as well. I also wanted to give mention that I think I forgot to do this last time because I was a little discombobulated after the, um, the year end junk show, but a little tip of the cap and a hello once again to Jean Hodspod who flew out and was our special guest for the show. She's contributed a lot of animation, not only to the junk show, but to my various projects over the years. And she's so talented. It's always weird when there, there are a couple people that do that, that are kind of a part of the junk show but never actually uh, have seen it. And so it was nice that she was able to make her way out from Virginia, visit Southern California, and uh, and be our special guest of honor at the show. So anyway, thanks again to Jean. Her animation that she showed did great. Everybody liked it. And uh, overall, a pretty fun show. Yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, let's, um, you, yeah, if you want to rate or subscribe, help the show. Patreon's a good way to do that as well. I, um typically post things. There haven't been as many bonus things in the last couple weeks, but I typically will put up little tidbits here and there, even if they're just short videos or some insider info, behind the scenes stuff, work that I've pitched or things like that. Anyway, if that sounds of interest to you or you just want to help the show, Patreon is a great way to do that. You can find it at thespacecave.com. You can email the show pings at thespacecave.com if you have beer or music or topic or guest suggestions or anything like that. That's the way to do it. Space underscore cave on Twitter also works. Anyway, you know all that stuff, but thank you for supporting the show in any way. Even a small little rating on iTunes, it will help. I know some people do like an incentive program. Look, if you rate the show, I'll do this. And I think that's purely just so people will go and see, whoa, this show has a lot of ratings. It must be good. That's not really that um, imperative, I suppose, to this show. It is somewhat helpful, I guess. So again, if you want to rate the show, it will help in the smallest measure but I guess it does something and I appreciate it. Anyway, that's not what this show's about. It's about enjoying it, thinking about other things, taking your mind off stuff for a while. I hope it has accomplished that. And here's some music to carry us out. Compliments of a suggestion from Ryan McWilliams. Here's Caroline Rose with not Mamba number five, but Soul number five. Her new record is great. Go check it out. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. I got a credit card and I use it all the time I got the Gucci, Gucci, gooey, oozy, icky, oozy style I do a hair flip, I shut my stuff You whispering at me, I can't hear you, I say what? I don't have a job, but I got a lot of time Baby, show me yours and then maybe show you mine
Stop looking good.